So why don't you open up your, your Bible, uh, if you're old school, if you use an electronic device, you can, uh, you can click to uh, Luke chapter 17. We're going to talk about a parable. If you use version, uh, remember, you can go to version. you can select a live event, you can go to Fellowship of the Rockies, all the scripture, all the, the outline, the notes, everything will come up. You can take your notes electronically, and at the close of service, you can email them to yourself, or you can save them whatever you prefer. And so we, I've been doing a series of standalone messages, and so I, I want to continue that for the next couple of weeks as we, as we walk through the summer together. And some of these messages are coming out of burden, and some of these messages are coming out of life journaling. You know we're life journaling together through the book of Hebrews. And so the book of Hebrews is like ministering to me right now. And so tonight I want to bring you a message, and I want to entitle it The Grace of Gratitude. I want to talk to you about the grace of gratitude. We could call it the theology of gratitude. We could talk, talk, talk. We could call it uh, worship and what it means to worship and what worship really looks like. Now, Pastor Chad started the service off with with a focal verse, uh, Hebrews chapter twelve, verse twenty-eight. And so here's what the verse says: It says, "Therefore, let us be grateful, receiving for." Be, let us be grateful, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Listen, that is so important, especially in times in which we live. In other words, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What he's talking about, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about one day we will totally receive. We're receiving that kingdom now. But one day it will be completely and totally fulfilled. And it will be the kingdom of God where Jesus Christ rules. And and everything comes under his authority. And there will be no more pain. There will be no more hurt. There will be no more brokenness. There will be no more loss. But right now we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Listen, we're in a kingdom right now that's being shaken, right? We're in a kingdom right now where it's like the foundations are being rocked. But guess what? We can still worship and we can still be grateful. Why? Because we as believers, that's why we should be different than non-believers. That's why we should be different than the lost. Because we are receiving a kingdom that, guess what? They cannot be shaken. And he goes on and says, And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. And for him to make that statement, there must be unacceptable worship, right? I mean, I mean, when you just start looking at this, and he goes on and he says, with reverence and awe, in other words, we should live lives that are grateful. We should live lives that are grateful, and because we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, it should change everything. It should change the way that we worship Him. It should change the way that we live. It should change the choices and the decisions that we make, the way that we interact with, with, with people. I mean, you that are parents and grandparents, you know what it's like to get a thank you that wasn't coerced or, or forced, right? You know, hopefully parents, you know what it's like to have a child look at you and just say thank you or just say I love you. I mean, we got a really great grandchild. Uh, we got three, but, but one of them is like old enough now, Gavin. And Gavin will look at you like when you, when you play with him or when you do something with him, Gavin will just turn to you just without even prompting him. or at, He'll just look at you and say, I love you. It does, right? It, it melts your heart. Wonder what it does in the heart of God when we, we're just grateful. And when we just worship Him, we worship Him with our lives and how we behave and how we act. Peyton Manning, which uh, led us to the Super Bowl. <laughs> I wore a Bronco jersey that day. And uh, he, now I'm off. But he, he led us to, he led us, he, he led the Broncos to, in all fairness, he led the Broncos to a Super Bowl. And then he retires. 
And I'd followed uh, Peyton Manning because I respected his family. He's a believer. I expected his fa- I respected his family the way he conducted himself on and off the field with coaches. And and so a lot of stuff has been written about Peyton's career and a lot more to be written. But one of the things that I was unaware of that to- caught me totally off guard was the life of gratitude that he led. Even with all of his success, even with all of the, the trophies and Super Bowl trophies and MVPs, uh, most of the most of the statistics he set all of all kinds of records he led a grateful life and so all of a sudden it, people began talking about thank you notes that they had received to him how grateful he is and so ESPN uh, did this this big video about it and it was condensed down to a minute and so we were able to find that I, I just want you to see this that's just the power of a thank you watch this This is the thank you letter I received right when he was leaving college. This is a letter my husband and I received after our son Tyler died. This is a letter I got the year that I retired. Uh, After I was drafted. This is what Peyton wrote to me right before the Super Bowl. I hope this letter finds you well. I was looking at some pictures yesterday and it made me think of you. We've had a wonderful seven years together. It has been an honor to have called you a teammate for 13 years. I'm grateful for your love and support, and I know you have my back. I feel like we've had a special bond. It has been a privilege to watch you play over your career, and I'm honored to call you a friend. You did it the right way, and I knew that you loved to win and hated to lose with the same passion as me. You know I've always looked up to you. To play as long as you did and at such a high level is incredible. You've taught me a lot. I have great respect for your work ethic and team-first attitude. It wasn't always easy. Some things you just can't control. It's okay. You're the best teammate I could ever ask for. It was an honor to play with you in Indy and again in Denver. To be Broncos together. Brothers. It's been a great ride. Keep grinding. I wish you all the best in the next chapter of your life. Congratulations again. Tell the family hello. Love you, pal. I'm proud of you. Sincerely. 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 There's something attractive about someone that lives a life of gratitude, right? I mean, the Scripture talks about this over and over and over, just the theology of worship, the the theology of just living a grateful life. You see this in the Apostle Paul's life. And listen, the Apostle Paul was... He was driven, and he was a type A individual. He he wrote often just thank you letters and thank you notes of what someone had meant to him. Philemon, Philemon chapter 7, here's what he writes. He says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed refreshed through you. See, gratitude, when you start looking at scriptures and you start looking at life, gratitude is important. Gratitude is important because it's not only an act of worship, but, it, but what the Bible tells us, it actually pleases the heart of God. It blesses the 
the heart of God. See, gratitude is essential for leadership. It's, it's, a, it's essential for leadership in any field, whether you're a manager or a boss or a CEO or a leader or a parent or anything. It, it, it's, a, it's, it's essential for leadership. Uh, we know from the life of Moses that Moses had his critics, and there are a group of people that gathered around Moses, and, and they criticized him. And so we know that when Moses went through a time that he no longer was grateful, it, it, it cost him greatly. When he got his eyes off the Lord and onto the critics, it caused him greatly. Listen, critics can always uh, get a crowd by grumbling and accusations. But listen, that style of leadership is not effective, and that style of leadership does not last. And that style of leadership, God will not honor. See, effective leadership, lasting leadership is to be able to live a life of just gratitude regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situations. Listen, Peyton Manning, right, he went through some difficult, he went through a difficult transition with the Colts. But he handled it differently than most. Paul writes to Timothy, and he writes these words in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. He said, Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. In other words, what Paul was writing to Timothy, effective leadership, is to live a life of gratitude and just trust him. I want to draw your attention to a parable, uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Here's what Jesus talks about this issue of an example of gratitude. We're going to spend the rest of our time together. Verse 11, here's what the Scripture says. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and listed, lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were healed, or they were cleansed. Then one returned. When he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. So now all of a sudden we're talking about postures, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. That was really important. One was a Samaritan. Nine were, were Jewish. And that's really important for this story. So he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten. We're not ten cleansed. We're the nine. We're the nine. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, except for this Samaritan? See, a Samaritan was an outcast. Was it even religious? And so he said to the Samaritan, this is so important because there's only one that got a physical and spiritual healing, the one with gratitude. In verse 19, finishing, says, Rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And so Jesus asked twice, where are the ten? Where are they? Didn't we, didn't we heal ten? And only one came back? Wouldn't you like to conduct an interview with the nine? Wouldn't you like to ask the nine, uh, why, why didn't you guys come back? I've, I've kind of worked through my office. I've, I've worked through some things. I mean, maybe if we had that interview with the nine, maybe one of them would say, well, you know what? I, I did exactly what God told me to do. I went and I showed myself to the priest. He didn't tell me to come back and tell him thank you. You know what that is? That's legalism. That's a legalist. May have kept the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. And one might say, well, you know what? I, I went and I immediately showed myself to my family. My family is the ones that, that like cared for me and like loved me. Another might say, well, you know what? 
Jesus knows I'm grateful. I mean, he's like God. I mean, he knows I'm thankful. He knows I'm grateful. I, I didn't know he expected me to, like, show it. I mean, I mean, he does this for a living, right? Isn't that what we pay him to do? To, like, heal the sick, pray for people, and minister? I mean, can't you hear someone say, you know what? I, I admit I got better. But I'm sorry, I, I, think it's a, I, think it's, I think it's coincidence. I met a friend that does essential oils. And they recommended an essential oil, Falakalak. And I put it in my diffuser and I like rubbed it all over my body because it said it would cure leprosy. And it like, it did. I mean, I, I don't know that God really should get the credit. I don't think it was really... Him. Another one might say, well, you know what? Yeah, I got healed, but I don't know if it was a good thing. I don't know if God really knows what He's doing. You see, when I had leprosy, I didn't have to work. I just stood on the side of the road, and I, like, begged for money. People gave me money. Now I've been healed. You know what i got to do? i got to find a job. i got to do... I, yeah, God, God may have taken care of it. I just think He could have done more. I think He could have done some other things. One might say, you know what? Yeah, I was healed, but... I'm really not pleased with the way I look. I mean, after all, I had leprosy for 15 years, and now since the leprosy's come off, I got all these wrinkles. You think God could have done something with that? I just think God could have given me a better situation. I think He could have done more. Another might say, you know what, I, I'm healed, but I, I just don't feel like celebrating and rejoicing when there's so many lepers in the world, when there's so much sorrow and hurt and pain. Another might say, you know what, I'm going to thank him one day, but right now I am like really busy with life. I mean, since I've been healed, there's talk shows. I've done 2020. I've done the Today Show. Uh, there's words. I'm going to be on a gut billboard. Uh, there's a book deal. And so one day when things slow down for me, then I'm going to thank him because right now, guess what? I'm busy. I'm busy with life. I'm busy with a job. I'm busy with a lot of things. I, I don't have time. One might say, well, you know what, I, I want to thank him and I want to go back, but this Jesus guy kind of worries me a little bit. I mean, after all, they told this one guy to go and sell all you got to the poor. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to become a Jesus freak. I mean, I, I mean this guy kind of worries me a little bit. What if he wants me to serve? What if, what if he wants me to give? What if he wants me to do something? I kind of like keeping him at arm's length. Only one in ten was grateful enough to go back. Isn't that the ex percentage you'd kind of expect in life? I mean, how many of you that are school teachers have ever had one of your students come back and tell you, thank you. Thank you for imparting knowledge. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for training me because now I got this job. I was able to go to college. I was able to learn a trade. I was able to earn a living. Sometimes I think about our TA ministry that does the lighting and the sound and the internet and the slides and, and they provide a, 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 a live streaming for about two to three hundred people that worship with us. A congregation in of itself. wonder how many people stop by and just say, hey, thank you guys for getting here early and walking through a service and staying late. You know, how, ma how many of you are, that are parents with teenagers I've had one of your teenagers tell you, hey, thanks for providing for me and thanks for keeping a roof over my head and thanks for the laundry and the meals. You'd like pass out, right, if that happened? 
William Barclay said this. William Barclay said, once a man gets what he wants, he never comes back. Why is that? Why aren't we more grateful people? Why do we look at the negative instead of the positive? Why don't we focus on the blessing that has come our way? I think there's a couple of things, and I just want to draw your attention to two things. One thing is this about being ungrateful. We are ungrateful because quite often we have unrealistic expectations in life. We're ungrateful because we just have unrealistic expectations of life. Even though we live in the United States of America, the most affluent nation ever, even though we enjoy good health, even though we're Christians, even though we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, eternal life, why is it that sometimes we're still not grateful? The reason is this, because a lot of times we, 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 we have unrealistic expectations. And any time life, for many of us, is less than perfect or doesn't meet our expectations, all we can do is complain or focus on the negative. We get a new house, and so we complain about the wrinkle in the carpet, or we complain about a blemish. You go out to eat at a, a really good restaurant, and all you can do is complain about the service, that it wasn't good enough, the food should have been better, it should have been quicker. You go to a concert, and you go, that just did not meet my expectations. I think they could have done a better job. Why didn't they do this? And you know what Jesus says? Jesus said this, in, in this world, you're going to have trouble. In other words, Jesus was trying to help us to understand this world. Guess what? This world is not an unshakable kingdom. This world will never be 100% perfect. And if you and I have unrealistic expectations for the people around us or the situations and the circumstances that we go through, we'll never be grateful people. And if we're not careful, the more we have, the less grateful we become. You'd think it'd be quite the opposite. The more we have sometimes, the more we grumble about what we don't have or what could be better, what should be better. Because what happens is the level of expectation begins to rise. I mean, if you're accustomed to Wi-Fi and you go on vacation where there's no Wi-Fi and there's no cell coverage, that can be upsetting. If you go on a really nice vacation, it's hard to accept a lesser vacation. If you go to a really nice steakhouse, it's hard to accept uh, all-you-can-eat buffet. If you've cheered for a Super Bowl, Super Bowl team that's been a dynasty, dynasty, it's difficult when you realize they'll never be back to another Super Bowl ever. <laughs> Proverbs 38, 30 verse 8 is what the writer of Proverbs said. First, help me to never tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Just give me enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may still and thus insult God's holy name. Listen, affluence can take away your gratitude if you're not careful. If you're not careful, the people you and I hang around with can contribute to ingratitude. That's why Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. If your friends are upbeat and positive about life, chances are you'll be upbeat and positive about life. But if you associate with people that are negative and always complaining and critical and pointing out the negative instead of the positive, chances are you'll become like that. I have a close friend that recently left 
ministry. He was a pastor of a church, and he took a job at a mission organization to where all that he does is takes mission trips, and he puts people together and takes them to third world countries. And I asked him, and I, I was talking with him, and I said, so what is like the most important thing that you do to have a sec- successful mission trip? He says, I, I've learned this. I never put two complainers on the same trip. They'll always exaggerate the problems. They'll always point out the negative, and they will sour the whole group. That's why 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. No matter how fulfilling your job is, how nice your car is, how nice your home is, how nice the things that you have are, if you associate with people who are complaining all of the time, if you're not careful, you'll become critical too. And become like the ten, the nine instead of the one. See, a lot of times it's unfair comparisons can keep us from gratitude. Remember the parable in the story where Jesus told the story about the workers in the vineyard and, and he hired a group of workers starting out in the day and they, they agreed to a day's wage. And then he hired another group kind of towards the end of the day. That group only worked an hour. And so when the guys realized that they had worked all day and, and the guys that worked an hour, they were all going to get the same day's wage, they grumbled and they got upset. Listen, if you compare your circumstances with other people who appear to have it better, then you can become discontented, a person that is not thankful and has ingratitude. Because no matter how successful you and I become, someone always appears to have it better. Kids are smarter, better athletes, better jobs. Someone has a spouse that is more romantic. Someone has a better salary. Unfair com- comparisons will destroy you. Uh, many of you were here when Charles Lowry was here, and Charles just did a phenomenal job. And so we stood out together, heard all the comments and all the things, and people were going nuts over Charles Lowry. And so we're walking down this hall together, and he says, hey, did any of that bother you? I go, no, not at all. I mean, for me, it's a win-win situation. And he's like, well, how is that? I says, you know what? If, if you bomb, then they're going to love me. And you know what? If you do really great, they're going to love me for bringing you in. So it's just no pressure. So it's like a win-win proposition for me. And he goes, well, you're not going to believe this. And he named the pastors one of the top, one of the top ten largest churches in America. He says, well, I was at that church. I, I preached, and I stood next to the pastor. And someone in the personnel committee came up and looked at the pastor and says, well, if you can preach, if you could preach like Charles, our church would be double in size. He said, this man had seen a lot of success, and he said it almost destroyed him. And I had to keep telling him for weeks and months afterwards, you don't understand, this is like my best stuff. It's like my best jokes. It's like my best sermon. I've delivered this sermon over a thousand times. I would not want to be a local church pastor that has to preach week in, week out, and a different message every week. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says this. says, oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other. I'm telling you, comparisons will destroy you. Using themselves as a standard of measurement, how ignorant. If you're not careful, you'll develop unrealistic expectations in life, and you'll never be happy. You'll never really be grateful. The second and the last thing is this, is if, if we're grateful, we will express our gratitude. Gratitude, what the Bible says, is not something that you keep inward. Gratitude is something, if you are grateful, it's something that you live, it's something that you express. 
And what the Bible tells us is this, is that if we do not express your, our gratitude in tangible ways, then really and truly we're not grateful. And we could learn some things. We could learn some things from the Samaritan to be more like the Samaritan. See, Samaritans were outcast in society, and so, so this Samaritan was the only one that got both a physical and spiritual healing. So I think there's some lessons to be learned about the Samaritan. I think there's some spiritual exercises that we all need to learn or disciplines to put in place so we're like the Samaritan. The first thing is this, is we have to come to the place where we acknowledge that everything that, that you have belongs to God. We just come to the place to we're just able to acknowledge that everything we have really and ultimately belongs to God. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to Him. In other words, what Scripture tells us, actually nothing that we have belongs to us. It's just on loan to us temporarily. I mean, one day, right, one day we're, we're, we're going to leave it all behind. And when we grasp that concept, it makes it, makes it easier for us to appreciate everything we have because we realize God's the one that gave it to us. I'll never forget our church was, was still young. We're within a couple of years, and, and we had a couple in our church, Steve and Lisa Eckert. Uh, Steve later became an elder here, and he's moved away, but they're in a, a, a traumatic car accident, horrible car accident on I-25. And it left Lisa uh, paralyzed from the waist down. They were only married a few years. They were a young couple, and it left her paralyzed from the waist down. And so uh, she recovered, and then she also had asthma. And, and, and a year later, uh, she had an asthmatic attack, but she didn't realize it. And her lungs filled with, with fluid, and they rushed her to the hospital. They, they saved her life, but uh, it was a difficult few weeks in the hospital. And so the doctors uh, met with Steve and, and told Steve that you need to make a decision uh, whether we pull the plug. you got to make a decision because uh, that would be our recommendation. I don't know if you've ever guided someone through that process, but, but about 3 in the morning, Steve and I made our way to the at Parkview House, Hospital has a, has a chapel. And we made our way to the chapel that we said in this chapel. And we talked about the ethics and we talked about the theology of, of death and, and when, when does life end, at, at flat brainwave or flat heartbeat. And we talked about that and we decided we would just pray and ask God because Steve had to make the decision. I, I was just his pastor. And so we, we prayed together, and when we finished praying, Steve says, God, God gave me peace that tomorrow, tomorrow I'm willing to pull the plug if I can be in the room with her when they do it because she's my wife. And he said, God impressed upon me. Even though the years have been short, that Lisa was on loan to me, and I will be grateful for the years that I was able to have with her. Because he said, you know what, Charlie? Everything. Everything belongs to him. That's why Steve Eckert was never bitter. Still not bitter to this day. Another thing that would help us and to understand just what it means to be grateful is this, is learn to minister to those who have less. And that's why, that's why God ties being grateful to giving and to serving. I mean, it's, it's an act of worship. Like Pastor Chad said, it's more than what we just do in this place. It's minister to those who have less. And one of the reasons that we're not thankful is because a lot of times we compare our lives and ourselves to those who have it better and not worse. But one of the ways to increase our appreciation 
is to be around those that have it a little bit more difficult in life. In other words, we, we need ex exposure to people that ex excel and lift our vision and minister to us. I get that. But we also need to have exposure to people who struggle. To have a deeper appreciation, it, it humbles us. This is why God connects these together. I mean, you want to be content? You want to be grateful? Learn to serve. Lead a life group. Minister to people within this congregation. That's what Hebrews is about. Hebrews is about the church. That's why, that's why the writer of Hebrews says, do not give up the forsaking of assembly. And he talks about this issue of community. Go on a mission trip. Go to a third world country. Get involved in foster care. Get involved in the soup kitchen. Get, go with us down on, on the Arkansas River and feed the homeless. And you, you, don't, you don't see them griping because it took long to get food. You don't see them griping because they had the, we, we didn't have their right size of socks or shoes or anything like that. That ment Mentor a young couple. Listen, you realize we have couples right now, young in marriage, that would love for someone just to mentor them in marriage. I'm telling you, that's why God connects these together. Another thing that, that we could learn is avoid complaining. The children of Israel, this is a little bit about the theology of this, but children of Israel complained. They like complained about everything, right? They complained about the water. They complained about the food. They complained about how much food. Uh, they complained about their leaders. They wanted to kill their leaders. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And the Bible says that the Lord became like exceedingly angry. He was like furious. And he saw he strikes them with a plague. And, and, but he says he, he did this so that we would learn from their example. Watch this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. Now these things took place in an example for us that we, may, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be, this is so interesting to me, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did. And were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. In other words, what the writer of Corinthians, Paul, is saying, learn from their example. Don't commit adultery. Don't worship idols or idolatry. And don't grumble, as some of them did. I mean, it's just fascinating to me that, that, that he put on the same line, he put in the same sentence, adultery, idolatry, and complaining. And if we're not careful, we'll just gripe about everything and about every little thing that does not go our way. And sometimes we'll gripe about the same thing over and over and over. And sometimes it becomes such a habit that guess what? We don't even know we're doing it any longer. And what the Bible says, our griping and complaining and grumbling is an offense to a holy God where we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And it's a poor testimony. And it's a detriment to your personality and friends. Many years back, I had an individual in our church that that really got upset with me over philosophy of ministry and they wanted me to change like the whole ministry uh, and I was like unwilling to do that. And so we had plenty of difficult 
conversations and this individual was was really really upset uh, they continued to attend our church but they're just upset they talked to plenty of people about it and uh, I'll never forget my wife is in nursing and so my wife witnessed to someone and invited them to our church she did not tell them that she was the pastor's wife she just invited them to our church and the person looked at them and says, oh, no way I'd come to that church. My friend is such and such, the person that was upset at me, who goes to that church. Why would I ever want to go to that church if that pastor behaves like that and has made those decisions that he's made in ministry and won't change it for her? I'll never go to church. We think our grumbling, we think our complaining is harmless. We think it's harmless when we complain about the church in our, in our home and with our family and with our kids. What happens when the day comes when you want that church to minister to your family? See, we, we look at it as harmless. God wouldn't look at it as harmless. If you're worried or concerned, if you have a problem in this area, then just ask someone around you. Or just tell them, hey, when I complain, would you just point it out to me? Or say, would you like a little bit of wine with that cheese? Whatever. <laughs> the last thing is this. We have to learn to express gratitude to God frequently. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul is saying in these passages, that we've got to learn to express God in the way that we worship, in the way that we serve, in the way that we give. I wonder what the percentages are of our church. Is it one in ten? Is it one in ten? That I understand what acceptable worship is? I read that if you own just one Bible, you're abundantly blessed. A third of the world does not have access to one. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, then you're more than blessed. One million people will not survive this week. If you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, $20 in your pocket, do you realize you're richer than 80% of the people in this world? Praise God for His goodness. But by the way you worship, by the way you give, and by the way you serve. Hebrews 13, 14. We Life Journal today said this, For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city to come, the kingdom of God. Though Him, through Him, then let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of the lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect, He ties all these together, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. After you've been blessed, be generous with it. Be joyful. I mean, tomorrow we're going up to see our grandkids and we're going to take them some presents. Cupcakes. <laughs> and they are going to lose their mind with gratitude and thankfulness. Don't you like to see that? Don't you like to see when you give someone a gift for them to enjoy it? 
Don't you like to see when you give someone a gift that they not only enjoy it, but they share it? That's what the Word says, is acceptable worship. Is it when you're blessed? When you're blessed. Be grateful for what He has given you. Be generous, serve, and share. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? More importantly, what is your next step? Listen, every one of us in this room, we have a next step. It doesn't matter if we have just met Christ or we've been a, we've been a believer 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Every one of us has a next step. And I'm asking you as a result of this word, His word, what is your next step? Do you need to learn to be more grateful? Do you need to learn to be thankful for the circumstances, the situations, the people that God has placed around you? Do you need to learn to worship Him that is acceptable worship? What is your next step? Do you need to learn to live a life of gratitude? Because I'm telling you, you will never find joy in ingratitude. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd say, you know what, I, I got a prayer request. I got a burden. I just need someone to pray for me. Well, we, we want to pray for you. I mean, that, that's part of our call. That's part of the local church. When we love one another, we pray for one another, we encourage one another, we support one another, we comfort one another, we encourage one another. So if you're going through a time in your life where you'd say, you know what, I, I just need someone to pray for me. Whether it's an issue in your relationship, whether it's an issue in your marriage, whether it's an issue with children, whether it's finances, whether it's health. Whether you want to pray for someone else. Listen, if, you, if you're carrying a burden, we want to lift that burden. And if you need prayer, you do not need to be embarrassed by that. Every one of us needs prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If, if you're carrying a burden, if you need a prayer, need, need prayer, in just a few minutes after I pray, we're going to stand. If we stand, and when we stand, as you stand up, if you need prayer, would you stand up and step out with us and begin making your way down here? You don't have to walk alone. People will be walking with you. That prayer partner's down here. It's just so easy. You don't have to be a member of this church. But there's something for every one of us to do in this moment. To pray. Whether we're praying by responding with a prayer partner or we're just standing right where we're seated praying for those who are responding. Something for every one of us to do. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, after I pray, we stand, you come. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Father, we are grateful for the country and the nation where you have placed us. We are grateful that we are inheriting a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Would you remind us of that tonight? And we are grateful for the blessings that you have so graciously given to us. May we be able to look at our lives as they don't belong to us, they belong to you. Would you draw this church very closely to you? Would people respond to you? Would prayers be answered? Would burdens be lifted? Father, we just look forward to see what you're going to do in this place. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.